Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm here to share an incredible work with you. Just a quick reminder before we get started. All sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on our Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's episode is a discussion on Judy Chicago's piece, The Dinner Party. Created between 1974 and 79, this work is considered to be the first epic piece of feminist art. It caused quite a bit of controversy when it was first unveiled, but the message it sends is incredibly powerful. So to learn more, keep on listening. The Dinner Party is an absolutely massive work, measuring at 48 feet by 48 feet. Made of ceramic, porcelain, and textiles, it serves as the centerpiece of the Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art at the Brooklyn Art Museum. The work is made up of five components. Six banners mark the entry space. 39 place settings are spread out in a triangle form, a symbol of equality. Each place setting represents a different woman in history that had a major impact on her world. I've linked the full list in the blog post. Beneath the table is the heritage floor. The tiles contain the names of 999 further women who contributed to history. Again, I've linked the long list in the blog post. There are seven heritage panels. These collage panels tell the story of the women. And finally, there are acknowledgement panels. These panels thank the volunteers and admin staff that made the dinner party possible. This work took six years to complete. When it premiered in 1979 at the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco, tickets were nearly impossible to procure. In addition, Chicago's accompanying lectures sold out. The two main parts of this work are the table and the heritage floor. Chicago's criteria for inclusion was, she had to make a worthwhile contribution to society, she had tried to improve the lot of other women, her life and work had illuminated significant aspects of women's history, she had provided a role model for a more equal future. The table is divided into three sections based on time period. The first one is prehistory, starting with the goddess and mythological figures and ending with the rise of the Roman Empire. The second side covers the rise of Christianity through the end of the 17th century. Finally, the third side starts with the Age of Revolutions and ended with Chicago's own time period of the 20th century. The 999 tiles of the heritage floor are the names of women that also accomplish the criteria and fit into the same time periods as the 39 main place settings. Actually, only 998 of them are women. Chrysales, a classical Greek sculpture, was mistakenly included because they thought he was a woman named Chrysilla. I would be remiss if I didn't discuss some of the featured women. However, this podcast would be hours long if I discussed all of them. So I picked five of my personal favorites that I thought highlighted Chicago's criteria especially well. First, I chose three women from the table itself, one from each side. Judith comes from the earliest side. She was a biblical heroine from the Old Testament. She seduced the Assyrian general Holofernes and then executed him while he slept. This act, though gory, saved her people. Next, from the middle side, I chose Eleanor of Aquitaine. She was a Duchess of Aquitaine in her own right, Queen of France from her first marriage, and Queen of England from the second. Eleanor ruled England as regnant for both her husband, Henry II, and her son, Richard I. Her blood still flows through the veins of kings, queens, and nobility today. Finally, from the modern side, I chose Susan B. Anthony, she was an American suffragette who fought for women to have the right to vote. Today, women still place their I Voted stickers on her grave to thank her for their hard work. From the floor tiles, I chose two women. The first is Katerina von Hemmesen. The little is known of her life, we do know that she is one of the few women artists active during the Northern Renaissance. 
In fact, Katerina was even admitted to the Antwerp Guild of St. Luke. Finally, I chose Isabella I of Castile. During her time, it was extremely rare for women to hold positions of power. She was Queen of Castile in her own right, and through her marriage, she united Spain. Her reign brought about the golden age of the country. Next, I'll discuss more of this work and its impact on our history. But first, let's take a quick break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, my name is Annalisa, and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. As a part of my content offerings, I produce a podcast. For the first several seasons, I will be discussing 50 objects that shape the history of Western art. From prehistoric cave paintings to contemporary art, I'll be covering it all. The podcast was designed for everyone, from the casual couch historian to a museum's expert. It all fits within the larger mission of Accessible Art History, to create a space for art history lovers, students, and anyone who is curious to explore all periods of art history and human creation. New episodes drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow the Instagram page for all updates at accessible.art.history. let's dive more into this piece. One of my favorite websites, Smart History, discussed this piece perfectly as a monument to women's history and accomplishments. For the majority of history, women and their accomplishments have been overshadowed or erased entirely. In addition, their bodies have been sexualized and used for art without acknowledging their contributions. This work, especially through its use of monumental scale, takes back that power over female history and identity. As with many artworks, the critical reception to the dinner party was mixed. For example, feminist critic Lucy Lippard stated her approval, quote, My own initial experience was strongly emotional. The longer I spent with the piece, the more I became addicted to its intricate details and hidden meanings, end quote. On the other hand, Hilton Kramer detested it. He said it was, quote, crass and solemn and single-minded, very bad art, failed art, end quote. However, the most negative review, in my opinion, came from Lillette Kuby of the feminist journal Frontiers. She wrote that Playboy and Penthouse, the pornographic magazines, had done more to promote the beauty of female anatomy than the dinner party ever could. Chicago was so taken aback with the harsh, most of it unnecessarily so, criticism that she later wrote that this was the only time in her life that she had contemplated suicide. Now it's time to examine the life of the woman behind the masterpiece. Judy Chicago was born Judith Sylvia Cohen on July 20th, 1939. Her father was from a long line of 23 generations of rabbis. However, he broke the mold and became a labor organizer and a communist or Marxism supporter. This would get him in trouble with the law many times, but it would also instill Judy with a sense of equality that would later inform her work and her life. Sadly, her father passed away when she was 14. 
Mother would not allow her to properly deal with her grief, which led to a hospital stay years later. Chicago knew she wanted to be an artist from the age of five. Eventually, she would go on to study at UCLA for both her BFA and MFA. Sadly, around that time, her first husband, Jerry Garowitz, died only a few years after they married in 1963. In the early days of her career, Chicago refused to show her works at shows that were separated by gender and race. She said that the separation created an automatic bias, and she did not want her art subjective to that. In fact, she changed her name to Chicago in 1970 so that it was unique to her and not connected to a man, either by marriage or birth. Judy Chicago taught the first women's art class in the fall of 1970 at Fresno State College, became the feminist art program with a full 15 units just six months later. This was the first feminist art program in the United States. In 2018, Judy Chicago was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. This was well-deserved. Not only is she an amazing artist, but she has written numerous books and created foundations to the creation and preservation of feminist art. Without her, women may have still been cast in shadow. The dinner party represents thousands of years of female oppression, but it also represents the woman's ability to change the world. Its monumental size means we can't ignore it. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure you come back next week for the finale of 50 Objects That Shaped Western Art History, where I talk about the girl with the balloon painting by none other than Banksy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out for our next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform.